changing gears a little bit again, um, you know, if you don't mind, if you want to take a, a couple minutes and just give us sort of a uh, season outlook on what the uh, on what the 2021 Muncie Club looks like in terms of you know some of your top teams or how the mm-hmm. how the energy in the gym is. I know we touched on uh, COVID already. I know that's affecting everyone. So if yeah. if you just want to leave that out of the conversation, I think that's fine with all of us because you know we're <laughs> we're all kind of over it. But yeah. the other thing I want you to touch on too it's it's a it's a hot button for this. Uh, podcast everyone listening is just uh recruiting in general you know how how it's going how you guys have handled it uh and things like that so what's the 2021 version of Montana look like well you know we first and foremost the gym has been somewhat of a blessing and since uh, there's been a lot of grace and gratitude to just get back you know I think that's a huge deal there my biggest concern was that we would lose the opportunities that were afforded to us by COVID there were a lot of opportunities. Sure. And one was for the first time ever, this generation, these guys are the first guy. If you look at them and say, tomorrow's aren't forever, they damn well should buy in. They, they yeah. should buy in. You know, you and I, we heard that the whole time we grew up, but it, it didn't resonate. It just echoed, bounced around and shot out. Now we know, you know, you know March 12th, I, I know March 12th real well. March 12th, <laughs> the door shut. Yeah. You know, I had a team I thought really had a good shot of winning the national championship. The night before, we had practiced, and we, had, for the first time ever, were healthy. And I had never in my life have told a team that I think this team's going to be is going to do this. I never told a team that you're going to win a national title. I sat down with them. I said, guys, for the first time in my life, I, I said, I have a gut feeling because you get it. I said, this team, uh, I think we're going to win it all. And then two days later, we're shut down forever, sure. you know? And, and so I think the kids understand it now more. I think the kids are more motivated, more uh, captured by, by the moment than they ever were before. And I think that's good. Our gym has had great energy and our gym kind of thrives on energy. It's a very fast paced gym. It's a very energetic gym, a, yeah. a very competitive gym, very Darwin. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very Darwin yeah. in the sense that, it is survival of the fittest, and, and I kind of feed that. I won't lie. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's kind of the way the gym has been. Team-wise, you know, our, our 12s haven't been tested enough. I don't know. She's a very good coach, and they're always a competitor. Um, our 14s are very good. You know, if you'd asked me at the start of the season. Tall, right? Yes, they're big. They're really big, and they're, and they're talented. Yeah. I thought the 14s, Which sucks, as you hear from a, a competitor club. Yes. Paul and Muncie, yeah, we're in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and these guys, they, they ball control, they're big. And, you know, it's uh, not quite, if you remember the Kiva 14s a couple of years ago, they're 16s now. Yeah, yeah. That were like, they're like a D1 size at 14. Yeah. Not quite that, but very gifted. And at the start of the season, I would have told you that was my favorite to win it all. Uh, 15s are solid. 16s are pretty good. Big bangers on the outside, uh, very athletic, more athletic than they've been, uh, but still, you know, uh, some pieces missing. But they'll they'll compete. That 16s team always competes. Yep. Uh, 17s better than average, and our 18s. Uh, you know, I thought coming into the season, I would have very good pins. A little girl named Mabry Shaftmaster and uh, Eva Hudson on the pins are, are very good. They're very good. I. 
familiar last name for you now, right? Chaffmaster is a pretty familiar last name. If I could just convince the parents to procreate just one more time, (laughs) I'd get out of here here and be okay. But yeah, those kids have carried me for a while. But you know, I knew my pins were going to be solid. My second middle's got to improve. My setting's got to improve. My setting, you know, and I think if those things come to play, we could be really, really good. You know, we'll find out at Bluegrass, just like everybody else. Yeah. who we are. I mean, we played a lot of very good team. Michigan Elite is a very good team. Very yeah. good team. Uh, Far Out is a very good team. Uh, this Tri-State 18 is a very good team. You know, we played the Kivas of the world and everybody else. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, when you get into a place like Bluegrass where there's no breathing, you know, that no one's going to give you that error you need. Yeah. So far, right. we, so far, everybody we've played has made that mistake when I needed that mistake made if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. When you're sitting there and you're not openly doing it because you don't want to freak your kids out, but you're going, you know, Lord, it would be really cool if you could kick a serve ball in the middle of the net. (laughs) And, you know, so far this season, we've had guys do that for us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so that 18s team has been very good. I mean, unblemished, but, you know, like I tell my guys, I I don't know what that means. Yeah, Mike, it's it's so funny you bring that up because we just had the talk with our team – uh, last week, I guess, uh, before that qualifier that, you know, what the one question we have is what's going to happen when we come up against a team that just doesn't blink, right. That they're not, that they're not, you know, whether it's wowed by the name or the Jersey or whatever it is that what, what's going to happen when you come up with that team that doesn't blink. And so I know that's why we're, we're super excited for bluegrass as well, because, you know, we need to play some gritty and tough teams and we need to play some people that we haven't seen yet. You do. And, you know, you need somebody on the other side of the net that uh, isn't going to give you points based on your warm-up. Yeah. You know, there's been a lot of times we come out. That's a strength of ours, too. You don't have a hell of a warm-up, Mike. <laughs> there's five, you know, that's – but there's literally been games this year where I thought, you know, that the scoreboard's already 3-0. Yeah. yeah. It's already 3-0. Uh, these guys, you know, when, when people are actively watching you warm up, then you, you, you said something. And I think that, you know, if you're going to intimidate and ultimately dominate somebody, it's got to start in warmups. And, yeah. you know, my mindset has always been win warmups. And because yeah. I view warmups as practice. It is. No, I don't view I agree. It, you know, warming up. I, that's why I look at my kids every morning. We get in the gym before tournaments. You know, if you need to warm up, then you're in the wrong place. When you got out of bed, you're, you're good to go. Yeah. This is about practicing. Yeah. You know, this, this, 45 minutes before we play or, or the five, the four minutes of hitting, that's about me getting better. That is my time. And, you know, look at the number of kids that just whiz away at that time. Now I'm all, I'm always on my guys, you know, this is your, this is practice. So don't screw around in here. If you warming up, get up and do yoga in the morning. If you want to warm up, I don't care. You know, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do some kind of calisthenics program with you clowns. But when we're in the court, we're in the gym. And there's a ball out. Let's go. Let's get better at the game. And so I'm anxious to see other guys that have that same mindset because, you know, you're talking about grit. But the other place, and I'm sure you understand this, it's really intriguing when you know the guy across the way from you has a clue. (laughs) And and it's, it's, you know, you're sitting there kind of going, dear God, I hope he doesn't. And then he does, (laughs) you know. 
it's it's intriguing and and that level it, it, you know the game becomes a little more chess like yeah you know and in those matchups are are interesting and so the thing for bluegrass that would concern me for me is mental fatigue oh yeah because i've been sure. able to rest probably <laughs> two-thirds of the time you know you play one big match maybe two big matches but you can rest for two you yeah. know now you go to go there and mentally you got to be locked in for for a day for two days and i don't know you know that's gonna right. be best for coaches we have We're a great story this year we, we mentally resting and 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 physical resting and and how that impacted bluegrass we can tell you about a story off the off the podcast for sure 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 yeah we're we're just lucky this year at bluegrass we don't lose an hour of sleep that's 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 just another <laughs> element that we don't that have to fight true. about that is true um but hey so we're gonna we're gonna jump to another uh another segment here we call it uh faces in the crowd where we've reached out to some of the people that uh that have worked with you in the past or played for you and all and all sorts of stuff like that so uh first one Which is a uh, long list by the way long yeah. list we, we, yeah. oh. we, we had we had to drop arrow, it way down sure. We had to chop it way down and uh, and combine some questions. But um, first one is a really good friend of the program, uh, Keith uh, Shunzel. And one of the things Keith wanted to ask, and you know, apologies if it's uh, if it's a little soon, but uh, but he wanted to ask about uh, Chris uh, Bierman and j just thoughts on him. What made him such an elite uh, leader and competitor? <laughs> you know, first and foremost, uh, Chris was, uh, was a dear friend. I, I needed Chris, yeah. you know, because uh, every good story has an arch rival. <laughs> and uh, Chris and I played together. Chris and I played against each other. Uh, Chris and I coached against each other. You know, we played this past weekend in Power League on court one at our place. And we played love. And, and I teared up before the match because I really looked forward to competing with him on every given day. Yeah. You know, on the eve of bluegrass, you know, a couple of years ago in bluegrass, there was a, a call made and uh, it was a war. It was 15-14. Uh, Jackie Quaid went up and hit a ball. Uh, Lee Edmonds blocked the ball straight to the floor. <laughs> Linesman called it out ref down official called it out referee called it out but the ball bounced on the tee at the 10 foot line sideline intersection and i was standing right there where the ball bounced chris went ballistic screaming about the uh about the call and he was going he was going nuts and to the point where i thought he was going to get tossed and uh I stood there for a second and I walked onto the court and then he started screaming at the official to card me because I walked on the court. <laughs> I walked on the court and I went up to the official and I said, Jeffrey, and he said, yes. I said, uh, the ball was in. And he said, what? I said, the ball was in. The ball was in. And he goes, what do you want me to do? I said, call the ball in. And Chris is still screaming at me. I walked back. Referee overturns the call. And Chris said, you didn't have to do that for me. I said, I didn't do it for you. I did it for your kids. They played way too hard. Uh, I didn't need to do anything for Chris Beerman. Chris Beerman was one of the greatest competitors I'd ever known in my lifetime. Um, 
Every good story needs an arch rival. Every good story needs a nemesis, whether it's something spiritual, physical, mental, whatnot. Uh, Chris Beerman was, was that for me. You know, so much of my story uh, flows through Chris Beerman. And so, you know, when you ask that question, you know, he was a special player. Uh, he was a special coach, but most importantly, he was a special friend. And people that just watched us on the sidelines um, would have thought we hated each other's guts. <laughs> uh, they would have. And, and that would have been a big mistake. Uh, he was a special guy. That's a great question by Keith. And, yeah. and Keith knows what I'm talking about. I mean, Chris was, uh, he was yours. You know, when I was little, my little brother was a little heavy. And we called him fat all the time. But uh, if anybody in the neighborhood called him fat, we're whipping their ass. He's my fat. He's my yeah, fat. Right. <laughs> and yeah. Chris Beerman was that guy. He was loyal yeah. to the end. And so that's a great, great question by Keith. And Keith yeah. is Keith is a great friend. Yep. Yep. Keith's amazing. And 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 he's yes. a, a fan of the program and the staff and everything too. So now we're talking about Bob, Bob Westbrook. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad to see a little smile on your face there, Mike. But um <laughs> We didn't know how that was going to go over. <laughs> yeah, it's like we may mention Bob's name, but how does Mike feel about it? But um, Bob would like you to talk about uh, yourself as a player, okay? And then talk about like investor realty, which yeah. is uh, where you played. Yeah. And then we'll have a Bob Badcock and ba yeah, Badcock, Badcock, and then the Rome Group. That might, was, some old, that might be some old school stuff. I'm yeah, it was, it was a remarkable time, you know, and Bob is, uh, Bob is, is an incredibly unique individual, but uh, his ability to be true to people is, is also a very unique uh, trait. He's both genuine and refreshing. And what you see is what you get, you know, and Bob, uh, Bob's a big part of my life uh, in the sense that, you know, he, he did coach me. He coached that team, and he was a very good coach. Uh, he, he took upon himself to coach this, this group of massive egos. I mean, it was, it, it was probably the best players in this part of the country. Mm -hmm. A phenomenal team, phenomenal uh, group that were kind of a, a, guy, a great guy. Langston, Hugh, Langston Sumner was um, a guy that, out of Rome, Georgia, that put it all together, Bob Babcock is kind of the general manager. So in essence, this whole thing uh, was really the first pro team in this part of the country. Yeah. They paid for everything. They flew us everywhere. We flew in, we practiced in Rome. We would fly to tournaments. Uh, players were paid. Uh, it was it was a phenomenal experience. The, and, you know, Lanky made it all happen because it was his dollars. But Bob was the one that was put in charge of trying to keep these guys calm and keep them all on the same page. And like I said, it was, there weren't enough balls to go around. Uh, I got to know Bob the most because I ended up rooming with Bob half the time. And I was deemed the captain of this because I was the, the one guy that could really communicate with Bob. And uh, Is that a blessing or a curse? It was a blessing. Sure. I'll be honest. Uh, you know, Bob, <laughs> I learned so much from Bob. Um, you know, my, my personality is so wired and my personality is so competitive. You know, the things that most people don't realize about me, I may be as competitive as anyone, you know, violently competitive. 
Uh, I'm also probably the most tenderhearted or emotional person you would know. So if you ever watch me, uh, you'll see it on the sidelines. And Bob helped me with this. We win and I celebrate for a minute until I look and I see all of the scattered bodies, be it, whether it be the guys that didn't play or the guys I just, I got into. And then I commiserate for an hour. And so Ron, I mean, uh, Bob helped me understand how to balance, you know, the too high, too low. And Bob is incredibly Zen. Bob was kind of my Phil Jackson. You know, he really was. And, you know, he would say things and I'm kind of going, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Man. But yeah, we're aware. He, he reached me in, in a way that I'd never been taught. You know, I, I, I grew up in a very football mentality. And so Bob's approach was so genuine and different that it helped me. It helped me kind of, kind of understand the, 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 ebb and flow of the game and to to make sure that you you didn't get too high or too low that you maintain something there and with my personality as a player it, it helped me and he knew what buttons to push on me you know I he knew when to calm me down and when to bring me up but that was one of the uh, you know when I closed my eyes for the last time uh, that group and that time frame of my life will probably be in that blink it was a so great so Scott and I would know Bob for a long time. And so we, we have an appreciation for him, no doubt. But he, yeah, it, no doubt. He, he thinks highly of you as a player. And what is, what is your, your playing style and how you play translate to how you train your athletes? Exactly. Exactly. Um, that's awesome. That's, yeah, that's, what, I wanted to hear. that's what we wanted yeah, to hear. Yeah, it is exactly. Um, if, you, if you talk to Bob, I was uh, a first ball contact fiend. I was, you know, I, I was a pass first mentality. Uh, offensively, I wanted to get on you fast. I was always about retaliatory rate, you know, picking the place to score the fastest. And whether that was me or someone else, um, I really believed that a team was built on jamming the middle of the court and establishing the middle and creating seams for the outside. And then having outsides that were solid enough to you know, if you gave me line, I bust line, you see a line. Now I'm going to take advantage of that seam. And now the rest of the game is a guessing, yeah. a guessing game. Uh, you know, I believe that everything was a first ball contact war, not a first ball contact game. Yeah. Uh, and I bled every point. I'll be honest, Gary, uh, if Bob will tell you the one thing I did was I, I did play every point and I played it from a very cerebral standpoint, but a very passionate standpoint. And Bob, you know, what's really weird is Bob is, is so iry or chill, but he, they don't realize what great passion he has. And, and it's calm. It's a calmer passion. I, I'm Mount Vesuvius. You know, I, I'm, I'm going. And as a player, it was constantly going. And the ability to have a guy, if, if I'm here going 1,000 miles an hour, the guy to come at you with this tortoise-like wisdom, and slow shit way down <laughs> allowed me to be the best player I could be. But I, I coached the same way I played, relentless. Um, I wasn't always easy to play with because I was very demanding. I'm not easy to coach with or, or, or to play for because I want things done the right way always. And, you know, I don't know, you know, I, I'm kind of anxious to see you guys because for me, every single point matters. 
You know, every single point is the most important point of my career. And when that stopped being the case as a player, I knew it was time to go. Yeah. And when it stops being that way as a coach, then, uh, you know, I'll just retire and join you guys in the podcast business. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we're not quite retired yet. I do I do hope any of our team logs or listens to this and, and hears that I'm not the only one that says, that talks about rate of retaliation and stressing the reset because yes. I got it from yes. you and I talk about it all the time. So it's amazing. It's, it's what we do. That's what we do best, right? We can yeah, retaliate. It is. And I've watched it over the years that, you know, Gabe and I've talked a million times about it. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and I think that retaliatory rate, you know, when you start to think about it, it, it makes sense. And stressing the reset is huge, especially in the middle of the court. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, and, and, you know, I think that those things are what makes the game go. And they all come back to first ball contact skills. First ball contact. Yeah. yeah, I create my retaliatory rate off my serve, especially if I can create a free ball situation on your side. I create retaliatory rate off a of serve receive with, you know, passing dimes. And passes, so yeah. it's, it's pretty simple volleyball, but if it's done with, uh, with an incredible amount of intensity and passion, shit's fun. Yeah. It when it goes yeah. that way. Thanks for making me cry to Mike. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Bobby is, uh, I'm glad to hear that. Bob is one of the, the most underrated human beings I've ever known. And, yeah. and we, 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 I'll, I'll speak for Scott. We speak, we think highly of Bob too and what he does for the volleyball community and what he's meant to us as coaches and as, I mean, families and all that stuff. It's, it's, he's pretty amazing. You know, sure. what, you know what he's really good at, Gary? He's good at being an unconditional friend. Yeah. Oh, because you can piss Bob off and you can do things that will upset him or irritate him. And he's, he's relentless in his ability to be your friend. Yep. Bob Westbrook is a good man and a better friend. Yeah. Well, I've known Bob for 15 years. I totally get that. I totally feel that. We we've had our moments and come back at the end of the day and we, we, we know how to make it work together for sure. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Gary, let's, let's move on to the survive and advance portion. You want to? Oh, that's my piece. That's my yeah, piece. Sure. I'm, I'm, my bad. I got, I got all emotional. I got emotional for a second. Hey, Talk so about Mike, Bob will do that to you. So what we've done, right? We ask questions. We have your uh, the the piece together for people, the faces in the crowd uh, section. Now survive in advance. Congratulations, because this is the easy part. Um, tell us as you're thinking about a tournament that your what's your pre-tournament routine? You're talking about days leading up to or day of? Uh, give me day of. Yeah, let's go day of. Day of. The same thing. I always want to, you know, I'm, I'm a quick guy. I've always get up. First thing I do every time I get up, I fill in my pregame sheet. I have a kind of a log that I keep on every match. I fill in all the data. You know, if I'm playing a five, I got a five up there. I've got uh date on there. And then I'm, I'm filling in three cues that I want to hit on in warmups about us, about us. I, I don't, I don't spend a whole lot of time or don't have a lot of time to spend, co- you know, scouting people. So I'm, I'm going to scout us and I'm going to the three things I want to achieve in warmups. And I have those written down, you know, warmups. I, I want to get there. I want to be the first in the door. I want to be the first on the court. I want to be the first to sweat. You know, I want to be the first to hit the floor. I want to be the first to, uh, to start barking, you know, and, yeah. and then I, we get out, we do our first first warm-up drill then I share those three things 
and then we then we go to work uh, for the rest of the warmups, and then we we do uh, pregame and everything else you got to do. Then I remind my guys five things I want to be able to do if I'm playing a five room ever. I want to reach 10 first. I want to first, I want to force the first time out. I want to reach 20 first. I want to force that second time out. And then I want to be clean after 20. No doubts, tough after 20. And I remind them high five. And those guys know exactly what the high five is. I remind them for the match. That's where we're going. I said, and my answer is always the same. I'll see you at 10. <laughs> I'll see you at 10. You know, and, and, and when we come in, we talk. But uh, that's almost every every single day is the same. You know, I get up, do the same things. The the three things that I want to focus on that day are always a little different based on where we're at, who we are, you know, and who we're playing also yeah. makes a difference. But, uh, you know, I want those guys to mentally get engaged as well as physically get engaged. I think the thing where we miss the boat sometimes, Gary, is that warm-ups are, warm are probably more a mental process than a physical process. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I take the physical part as practice. I just, I just think that the Lord gave me 20 more minutes to practice. And I'm right? yeah. yeah, the, the mental part of it is that's why I give them the three things. Cause I got to know if you guys are mentally with me, you know, sometimes, you know, our teams need to check up from the neck up. You know, these guys are, they're in the Bahamas with a boat drink and I'm sitting in the friggin' expo center in Louisville <laughs> trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's, we got to be on the same page. So no boat drinks. I like that one. (laughs) That's good. That's good. What are, uh, Mike, what are some things that you see in opposing coaches or teams during warmups that, uh, that makes you feel confident that you're going to win that match? And I'll give you an example just quickly. You know, if, and I've used this a bunch on this show, but um, you know, if I see coaches that are wearing jeans or if I see coaches that didn't bring a ball card, I feel pretty good about that match. So anyway, I will tell, go ahead. I will tell you my number one thing is when it looks like the kids on the other team need Velcro <laughs> because it, it shouldn't take you that long to tie your shit up. You know, <laughs> I, I, I want guys to get on the floor, man. If you're, if you're dread, if you're just dragging, laying on the ground, taking 20 minutes to get your gear on, I feel good. I feel yeah. uh, that gives me a pretty good feeling. You know, coaches, you know, it, it's interesting how coaches handle themselves. I'm very, very methodical, very locked in. Yeah. You know, I'm very locked in. I'll, I'll, I'll say hi to my friends and, and I love the camaraderie and the fellowship, but I, you know, I want to see a coach that's locked in. If, if the coach is locked in, looks like he's coming after me as well. Then, then, then I know I'm in for it. It's going yeah. to be, this is going to be interesting. It's those guys that just kind of sit back and jack around and their kids just lay around on the ground and don't seem to have any intention of getting up on the, on the floor. Yeah. I'm digging that, you know, a yeah. couple of years ago, we played a team from Canada that showed up about 12 minutes before the match and the match <laughs> took about 12 minutes. So I felt yeah. good. That all the time. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Hey, what's your favorite tournament to to attend or city to go to for for volleyball? Favorite city, you know, it used to be Austin when we would go to the Lone Star. I, I loved Austin. Yeah. I I loved competing there. You know, the Triple Crown when it was in uh, Salt Lake City, even yeah. though Salt Lake City was kind of a bear for us to get to cost wise, and there was no direct flight. Yeah, uh, from here, I really like Salt Lake City. 
yeah. a lot. I liked Triple Crown a lot when it was an invitational tournament. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, they still say it is, but, you know, I have a hard time believing it's an invitational tournament when, There's you know, A5 teams. is going to play a match and the team that just started that same year is invited. Yeah. Uh, 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 no, I don't know yeah. about that, but, you know, I really like bluegrass. Yeah. yeah, I really like bluegrass. Uh, I'm from Kentucky. You know, I'm born and raised in Lexington. I uh, my first year, I started bluegrass with Ron. I was there when bluegrass started. When Kiva started, I mean, I started Kiva with Ron Cordes. And you know, you talk about uh, the special people in this game. You know, Ron Cordes is as special as it gets. So, you know, I get to go to bluegrass. I get to go home. Basically, uh, I get to see Ron Cordes and and some of the people that were, were big and instrumental in my life, I would say out of all of bluegrass, by far my favorite tournament. Good. It's good. Um, we touched on this a little bit already, but just kind of quickly, I, I know you've mentioned Bob and you mentioned Ron, who are some of your other favorite coaches or teams to play against? Well, you know, Rick Butler, <laughs> you know, was, was a big part of this. Yeah, you know, I I chased God, I chased him forever, and I remember one time, right before a national championship, somebody said, you know, we're really, uh, this has become an incredible rivalry. You know, we played each other in six straight national championships, whether USA, one year USA, the next year USA AAU and JVA, then JVA AAU. I mean, it was six years in a row. Yeah. And this reporter for the Orlando Sentinel said, this has become an incredible rivalry. And my answer was very succinct. I said, I'm not really sure the hammer considers the nail a rival. <laughs> I said, I, uh, it hasn't been really kind to me. I'm not, a rivalry means I'm actually winning some of these games. You understand yeah, yeah. that. Um, you know, Rick Butler was one of those guys that I learned an awful lot from, you know, as a coach, uh, you know, we referenced already Bob Westbrook was and Ron Cordes were great mentors for me uh, in, in the club world. You know, Jay Hames at K2 yeah. is, is a very gifted coach and, and how he goes about it is a little different. He's He's been a guy that is has really helped me along the way, just kind of, you know, figure some things out. John Sample was fun to play against, you know, uh, yeah. but his was... His was a mentorship as a, as a friend. You know, I think these mentorships are kind of interesting. Uh, the mentorships can go on the court. You know, there's been guys that made me a better coach. Yeah. Uh, but there have been guys that made me a better man. You know, Joe Steenheisen at Far Out is a phenomenal human being. And so I, you know, I've been blessed. You know, you referenced earlier the number of people that I've touched or the number of people that you, you had in your faces in the crowd. Yeah. You know, I'm almost 60 years old. And so I look back on it, uh, you know, I've been a blessed man and there's so many people that have been sewn into my soul. Uh, but you know, the, the names that come to, to mind right away are the guys that it's, I spent a lot of time chasing and or losing to, you know, and, and Butler would come first, you know, that he, <laughs> he put an ass beating on me for a long, long time. And yeah. And he's an awfully good guy. And he, you know, he was a servant leader in the sense that he was willing to share and give you anything he had. Uh, you know, he comes to mind. And, and like I said, the Ron Cordeses and, and the Bob Westbrooks of the, of the world are, you know, what can you not learn from them? Right. Off the court. Yeah. 
So as you think about the players today and in the future, what, what annoys you the most about a player when they step on the court? The level of importance the match has. You know, I think that your love, I think the, the love of the game is different. And, and I say this, when we first got into this, the scholarship was the guide, meaning if you work hard enough, you may actually get a scholarship and get to play a game you love at the next level. The scholarship is no longer a guide. The scholarship is the God. Mm. And now kids are playing just for a scholarship. They're playing to the scholarship. Some kids commit and just shut the motors off. You know, the thing that is missing most now is the love of the game, just mm -hmm. sheer love of the game and competing to the end of the day. Yeah. And when I look at kids, I see kids that are part of the factory. You know, they're just part of the factory. They're, they're going through the pieces. They're getting wrapped, packaged, and sent. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. I'd like to see kids just bust out of the damn box and, and just ball, you yeah. know, and I think that's the one thing we're missing. Yeah. That's Man. awesome. Speak our language. Said, yeah, yeah. And you you said something in a coach is funny that you did down here um, in Atlanta a, a few years ago. And I think it touches on that point. It's does the does the score dictate the energy or does your energy dictate the score, right? And and I I wrote that down. It's on the notebook I have right here because it's just it's an awesome quote and I think it it's true. touches on that point, which it's is true. Awesome. You know, I'd yeah. love to come in and watch an A5 team playing and look at the scoreboard and see 20 to 5. Me too. And, and not, yeah, know, me too. not have a clue, <laughs> not have a clue though, who's ahead. Yeah. Those yeah. matches I love. Yeah. And the team that has five, you know what, man, God love them. Exactly. Cause that's what I, that's what it's about. I, yeah. I just want guys that are willing to grind and just, you know, win the gym, win, the, win the day, yeah. just win, <clears throat> win, yeah. you know, but I think that we don't have enough kids that are looking to win the drill, win the gym, win the day win yeah and you know the problem is that if we can teach our kids that they're going to be crazy successful in life mm -hmm. if they don't no grasp that well you know get ready to say do you want fries with that order because <laughs> right. that's kind of where we're headed yeah but at the end of the day i think you got to convince kids that you know when when but it starts with you know we tell our guys i want to be i want to work harder than anybody in the country and they'll go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, you may want to start by working harder than those guys on court, too. There's six yeah. frigging courts in here, guys. If you can't outwork these cats, we can't even get out of the county. Yeah. You know, did you understand country or county? I said country. Yeah. It's a big difference. Yeah. Yes. No, that's uh, – yeah. And, you know, the next one and, – and, and you've touched on this uh, quite a bit already, and I, and I think the word that, that you used is grit, but – what are some of the common characteristics you've seen and the greatest Montana players that have gone through there? I think the best players are mindful. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's amazing. A kid like Johnny Parker was very mindful of others. She, she was very aware of everybody else and how they worked with her. You know, a couple of years ago, there was a play where Kendall White went for a ball at Penn State and hit her head on the floor and a buddy of mine, his daughter played for me as well, was at Michigan State at the time, texted me and was cussing Johnny Parker because Johnny Parker ran over. If you saw the replay, Kendall White was out. She hit her head hard. Johnny yeah. Parker ran over, grabbed her, and appeared to be celebrating. Throw her, had her up in the air, hammering her. And he said, Mike, I'm telling you right now, Kendall White's eyes were shut. Parker 
celebrate it. No one stopped play. No, no, no protocol. There was no concussion. She was mindful enough of what was going on around her that she was going to fix that. Coaches think that way. Players don't. Yeah. Mindful, I think, is one. I think that competitive has always been, but it doesn't have to be competitive. It's, it's, it's an internal competitiveness where I don't have to tell, you know, the guys that were really good, I never heard them. I could, I could hear them with my eyes. You know, I didn't, they didn't have to speak to me. You know, you look and you go, damn, you know, and, and I think lastly, the kids that could give an elite effort on every play, not an elite play, that's not real. Mm-hmm. but could could max get to the point where they were going to give me an elite effort on every play regardless and you knew they were selling out for you those kids yeah. are special yep yep that's good so the last question we have is uh if there's one rule change you can make in club volleyball or volleyball what would you make what would you do i will tell you i damn well like not switching sides i do like I that too Okay. I was talking about that last week. <laughs> last night that. I was talking about it. You know who it's really good is, you know, in the Midwest, we don't do that much. But if we go to nationals, the Cali guys always do it. And there seemingly is always some kind of parent altercation. <laughs> I just so, say that. Yeah. I'm, di- I'm digging that. I, I like that. You know, the only rule change I've always said, no overlap. 90% of the time, it's a screwed call. The official blows it. If you argue well, every time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but overlap, you know, the moment they allowed the server to go anywhere they wanted to on the back line, they should allow me to do whatever I want with my passers in the back row and not worry about it. Just make sure we're aware of who's front and who's back. Yeah. And that's, that's easy. Yeah. But the, uh, the overlap rule, I, I said some tedious, you know, your setter left early. Come on, man. <laughs> you know, I, Have I you think ever stepped before it's hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think <laughs> I just think that's a rule that's that's antiquated that probably needs to be reviewed. Yeah. Um, the only other that I would ever argue about is in basketball. I hate, you know, is it a block or is it a charge? And it always seems to go against whoever I'm cheering for. <laughs> now I'm screaming charge and the block foul comes up. Yeah. Uh, the over, you know, yeah. I, I, the number of times that I've looked at an official and got this. Yeah, right. Yeah. Come on, man. Hey, there's never been a ball right there on the net. Either <laughs> right. Or it's here. Then stop right there. Yeah. And and so that that would be the other. But I'd say number one, overlap. Get rid of okay. it. Slows down the game. Fischl argues it. You argue. We go check the books. We check the rotation. Now you've, in essence, got a five-minute timeout out of it. <laughs> Stupid. Get rid of it. Yeah. yeah. It's a good one. Mike, well, we appreciate you spending oh, time with us. No. Um, I mean, the, the 40 years that you've had at uh, Monsiana and you brought here to us is not you personally, but the program like it. Is, is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I love the, the fact of you know, having the girls create ownership and wanting to, to charge forward. Um, so, yeah, really appreciate you coming on and yeah. – and to everybody out there listening, thanks for tuning in. I'm Gary Jensen. That's Scott Shelley. Thanks to Connor and Scott, who are not here, for making us sound great. And hope to see you again soon. Until then, stay awesome.